In a make-believe world as vast as Hollywood can offer, there are movies that stood the test of time to us and to us alone. These films may or may not resemble the critically acclaimed classics that have acquired accolades at glittering star-studded award ceremonies, but have won their way into our hearts. These movies are not iconic, but myconic. Pugilism, firefights, knife throwing and homoerotica feature in these two classic action movies, both decades apart, decades old and still entertaining. The films are Rocky III and Under Siege. So, we're ready, we're here, we're ready to go. We've got two exciting films today because I would go as far as to say they are action-packed mm. in as much as we really explore and exploit the action genre with these two colossus leads <laughs> i would in fact of all well, mm. we've had um of the various action stars of the day mm. the 90s so far so who have we had we've had arnie so yeah. far uh we've had van damme yes and we we complete i feel tonight the i'm going to say the holy trinity <laughs> Yeah, okay. In as much as I don't know if Steven Seagal really he was always an outlier, wasn't he really? Yeah, and for good reason. In I terms think. of mainstream action, he was never quite up there. No. Whereas Sliced Alone, Arnie, Van Damme, very much a third place. Yeah. <laughs> a tertiary. But he he, he was star. He, he was like a burning sun that came and went very quick. He, oh. he kind of, he came, he... He roundhoused. <laughs> <laughs> and then he left. And then he retired, uh, not by choice. And then he ended up in the cause adverts. But that's, I think that that's a legitimate, a legitimate uh, career. Yeah. Whereas Seagal sort of hung around and just kind of like bobbed along in obscurity yeah well i always thought he was a little bit because his um i'm not going to go as far as to say his films were gritty because <laughs> mm, no. they didn't have much depth but they were certainly i'd say they had like a darker tone in terms of the violence i think they were always like more graphically violent than the mainstream action well, movies of the time. It's, di it's difficult for me to pass comment because I've only really seen the film that we're going to discuss. Okay, well today. let's let's get to that then. We so this time around, your film, uh, as you say, this is the one and only film of Seagal's that you've seen, mm -hmm. is Under Siege. Okay, yes. but again, big action hit of its day, mm. certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly one of Seagal's bigger, bigger roles. I would say it's his biggest. Probably is his biggest. Would you say peaked with Under Siege? Uh, yes. Mainstream-wise he did, didn't I he? mean, the only, in fact, I've seen another film with him in, which was Executive Decision, which I recall absolutely <laughs> nothing about. <laughs> But he is, heard of it. <laughs> he is. I tell you, it's, I think it's him and Christian Slater. I think it's mm. it's them two. But he is only in it for about half an hour, right? Tops. 
So it's not really a Stevens. It, it, he's a he's he's a short lived part. Right. Okay. Well, under siege, definitely mainstream leading yeah. role, isn't it? For, yes. For Seagal. And then I chose um, sliced alone in Rocky three. Now that's an that's interesting. I want to discuss specifically why three a little bit. Okay. Um, Should we, we begin with it. rock? Should we begin with rock? Let, let's go there. So, so of course, I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, I've I haven't seen Rocky and I haven't seen Rocky two. I've seen really? Rocky three and four and parts of five. <laughs> well, I've got good news for you because okay. if you've seen one, <laughs> yeah, you've seen them all. Right. Okay. Are they quite formulaic then? They are formulaic. Each has its own um, unique little novelty, be that a character, be that a, a unique twist in the plot, but invariably they are the same movie. Well, twist, I wouldn't say Rocky, Rocky doesn't, well, okay. I mean, what, okay, so for, in, in, let me try, I'm going to try and guess what happens in Rocky and Rocky 2. Not having seen it, but having a okay. sort of general idea. So Please, it's yeah. a po- it's Apollo Creed is his nemesis in the first mm-hmm. two films, mm-hmm. as I understand it. And I'm assuming in the first Rocky film, he loses to Apollo Creed in a first fight. Do so, they fight twice? So Apollo Creed is... Um, He's like the heavyweight champion. He is world heavyweight champion. And Rocky in and of himself is just an unknown... Journeyman, yes. if you like. Okay, but but like a good boxer, he's, he's an up and coming up, boxer. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but he's been kind of written off by Mick, his his trainer. Oh yeah, yeah. And then um, Apollo Creed, in and of himself as a heavyweight boxer, is very much a showman. He loves the idea of putting on a mm. show for the fans. And well, that is evident in Rocky Four above all others. Like yes. that is my that is my image <laughs> of Apollo Creed. Yeah, he he very much lives up to that that reputation. Okay. Um, and consequently, looking for the next big thing, he doesn't just want to defend his title against another heavyweight in the division. He wants to put on a show. He wants the everyman to feel like oh, they have okay. a fighting chance in achieving right. the dream of. Mm. You know, being given a shot at the world title, right? And that's how that turns out. And Rocky goes the distance. Does he win? I don't even remember if he actually wins. Right. So he doesn't win. Rocky doesn't win, uh, despite what you might think. Oh, okay. I hope I'm remembering this right. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen it. In as much as though the critics after the fight say he should have won should have been okay. him. So it's almost like a moral victory, yeah, a if moral not an victory, actual yeah. victory. How could this nobody go toe-to-toe mm. with the world heavyweight champ be critically seen as the winner, but points went against him on the night? A bit like Tyson Fury's last match. Against Francis Ngannou, yes. Yeah, so right. For those, you know, looking at the scorecards and whatnot, would maybe mm. say Ngannou, right. Ngannou, Ngannou clinched it. Right. So um, then that tees up Rocky 2. Okay, which, which is like is the rematch. Apollo Creed, I can't live with the idea that I didn't out and out dominate that Got it. fight as the heavyweight yeah. champ. Let's go. Got it. Let's go again. 
Oh, okay. Rocky three, he is the world champ. Um, yes. Let's read the. I've got the blurb. Let's read blurb. the blurb. Let's have it. So, this is great. So, this is Apple TV's um, description of events, which is having become the world heavyweight champion. Former working class boxer Rocky Balboa is rich and famous beyond his wildest dreams, which has made him lazy and overconfident. <laughs> in a double whammy, he loses his trainer. Oh gosh, so this is a spoiler right in the description. I think they're mm. assuming most people see, see this coming. In a double whammy, he loses his trainer and father figure, Mickey. And then has his title stolen by the arrogant, menacing challenger, Clubber Lang. Stolen is a very loaded co- uh, loaded verb. Is that a verb? St- uh, St- yeah, it's Stolen, a verb. yeah, he nicked it. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it, that's, I wouldn't say... St- um, I'm trying to think. Anyway, it doesn't, so, doesn't really matter. Turning to his former adversary, Apollo Creed, for help, Rocky struggles to get his old fire back. I think that blurb gives away way too much. It basically gives away the the first half of the film. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it's it's everything that goes on, the little details that really make this movie. Now, you wanted to know why I picked it yes. over the other Rockies. Is one okay? Everyone loves the Rocky films because of what they are. Look at Rocky go. Everyone's expecting that moment, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but primarily, I think I chose it because of I like Mister T. Yeah, across all the Rocky movies, he's my mm. favorite opponent. Yeah, um, you've got Apollo Creed, you've got Carl Weathers. You've got Ivan Drago, which was Dolph Lundgren in the fourth one. Tommy mm-hmm. Gunn in the fifth. But Tommy, T- Tommy, Tommy Gunn is pretty is pretty dismissive. Like he's very forgettable. Like I can't even remember what he looks like. Who plays him? Yeah. Like he's just a bit of a brawler, isn't he? Yeah. Dolph Lundgren as um, Ivan Drago is is just like a, a Russian kind of like. Ro- robotic kind of um, nuts and bolts, like scientific yeah. fighter. Like when you see the the montage with him training, it's 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 very like mm. well, it's it's like the the Russian doping machine, isn't it? Like well, of, of the eighties. The thing was, I mean, it was a toss up for me in my mind. I wanted to do a Rocky mm. movie, and it was very mm. close between it and four because yeah, yeah you've got it's it's USA versus USSR at the time. Yes. It's East versus West. Mm. It's, um, you know, heart versus science. Yeah, right. And formula versus yeah. passion. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good one. But why have that when you can have Mr. <laughs> T <laughs> dressed in tasseled suede jackets, leather, uh, oh, sorry, dangly feather earrings, yeah. mohawk, Making wild noises as he trains boxes and talks, yeah. And I think it just—I just thought. Well, he he bursts onto the scene with this film. This is his first acting role, and it's incredible. Was this it, is the I thing was that launched his out, career. Was it? Was it? Did it run parallel with the A Team, or was no, this? No, A Team came after. Ah, A Team okay. came after. So, 
I, I had a bit of, look, uh, a bit of research. So Sylvester Sloan, who wrote and directed I th- all, all of the, them. All the Rockies, yeah. Um, so he saw Mr. T um, on a NBC reality show hmm. called America's Best... Wait, I'm gonna. I've got to. It was called America's Toughest Bouncers. No, <laughs> no, that can't be right. What have I written there? It was America's Toughest Bouncers, right? Okay. And it was. It was just secure. It was basically security guards. Apparently, yeah. Mr. T had been security for Muhammad Ali and right, okay. Sugar Ray Leonard or someone. Um, but and and he'd seen and I think he'd. He already had like the mohawk and like he looks because he looks very distinctive, doesn't he? I mean, his his look is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And I think Sylvester Sloan just liked the look of him and was like, right, I I want you. Yeah, he's going to cast film. a serious screen presence. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, he does. In fairness, I mean, a number of th- not just him, but the other reason I remember as well when I actually chose this was albeit for a brief scene, we are also treated to early 1980s Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. In um, As part of, we see Rocky's kind of frivolous uh, lifestyle associated with his, um, his, you know, lazy, as they say, in the descriptive ways of being at the forefront of people's eye in terms of the boxing world, but not really achieving what he had done in the past as a true fighter, a true hard man of the sport. He's put on this charity event, which involves him going up against Hulk Hogan, Um, which in and of itself... (laughs) And his character has the worst, the worst wrestling name Imaginable. What? I think it's a brilliant name. Thunderlips. Thunderlips. Thunder. Thunder's fine. That's fine. The first part is thun, thunder. Thunder man. Thunder clap. Thunder strike. No. Thunderlips. Thunderlips. <laughs> <laughs> but not only that, you've got to pair it with his actual title, which is the ultimate male. Yeah. <laughs> Thunderlips. <laughs> And then these are some of my favourite lines and moments of the film when I think that whole opening scene sums up what it was to be a pro wrestler in the 1980s. Yeah. Where he's getting his intro in the ring whilst he's introducing him as the mountain of molten lust, Thunderlips, <laughs> the ultimate male. He's there like flexing, doing a few flexes for the crowd. <laughs> And then in between flexing and all this is going on, the crowd are booing him and jeering and then yes. he's like doing the up yours sign to all That is one of the things that I know is because that is proper old school, just like properly like <laughs> hand hand into the into the elbow oh, and like the, right the, the, with the, crook, the fist coming right to up. The crook yeah. of the elbow. Have some of that. Yeah. <laughs> so those those moments for me, I remember first seeing that and just being absolutely blown away by how hilarious that was just as a depiction of total nonsense wrestling back in the day with the titles the spectacle it comes yeah, but to it the was ring. so over the top wasn't it it was re- that was the point it was so yeah, over the yeah. top but it, the the announcer the i mean the announcer with his the again 
an amazing mad tash, mm. which kind of isn't even like because it's a really wide. It kind of like goes up his kind of like <laughs> cheeks, but yeah. instead of it like most people, what they do when they grow it that long is it kind of comes away from the face. It's not actually like mm. it's so it's not like the hair actually extends like growing out of the cheeks. <laughs> it kind of like so like they just kind of like curl it around in a way. Where his is just like it's almost like a beard where where he shaved everything, everything <laughs> but the very che- tops of his cheeks, <laughs> and it just extends like further up. It's mad. Know, yeah, noticed. it's really weird. But he kind of throws some kind of shade. So he's announcing all that stuff. What did you say? The mountain of the mountain of molten lust of molten lust. But he also he also says this. He says. About Thunderlips, a man who calls himself the ultimate object of desire. <laughs> so it doesn't say uh, the ultimate point. object of desire. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The mountain of molten lust. I should appoint that nickname for myself, really. <laughs> so can this we- was be- this was before Hulk Hogan's. Really, this was before Hulkamania. Hulkamania came as a result, partially as a result. Of being in this film. He got fired from the WWF for appearing in this film. Really? Yeah. And then he was reinstated uh, after the film, like, after the popularity, basically. And he was was doing kind of like the interview circuit and stuff. Mm. And um, whoever was running the WWF at the time was like, right, let's, let's get him back in. And they sort of built the brand sort of around... Hulk Hogan because of the popularity of, of being in Rocky. <laughs> Mental. I no. was actually, when I was out cycling the other day, um, I want to say it was last weekend, last Saturday morning. I went out early enough, and even on Saturday mornings, the roads are relatively quiet where I go. And I went out to a little town. I'm hoping maybe it's, there's a part of me that's hoping that someone somewhere in Newton Ards is listening to this. <laughs> The person in question who I saw, because I saw a guy come walking down Station Road. I'm going to name the road as well, just in case. He um, comes walking up Station Road, and as I turn into it, he's literally modelled himself on Hulk Hogan, this fella. What in what in what way? Like like a like a handlebar mustache, full full blonde mustache. Yeah, he had his headphones in. He was walking Mm. along. Bandana? Bandana. Yes. Full Oakley shades. (laughs) He was wearing, I can't be sure, I was hoping that, I think he was wearing fingerless gloves. Oh, amazing. (laughs) And like a military style um, overcoat like jacket that you get from like an army navy I was hoping you were going to say a vest and as you approached, (laughs) he he rent it. (laughs) 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 And then went, oh. Properly grimaced as he did. And as you cycle past, he'll go, he said, I'll break him hair like this. <laughs> yeah, give me the up your sign as I cycle <laughs> past. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I, I almost stopped. Like, there was part of me that thought, should I stop and go, Hulk, can I get a picture? <laughs> but I think he'd have probably told me to do one, the fella. Or he would have gone, yeah. yeah, and maybe played along. I don't know. But yeah, there's a Hulk alike in Newtonards somewhere. Amazing. So Hulk Hogan, yeah, he's he was always a treat whenever I watched. Certainly when I first saw this, um, I remember first what I first saw this. I, I went through like a phase in like my early teens, 
of staying up late. I probably still do this, really. I stay up late at night. I'll put a film on, and it's already way too late, but I still end up watching the whole film anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, this was one of those films, and I think, like I said, I was just taken aback by the whole the spectacle of it all, certainly with Hulk. I wasn't expecting Hulk to even be in it. No, that um, is a, it's, a, it's a great surprise if you've not seen that before oh, for, yeah, for uh, Hulk Hogan to, to appear. Absolute treat. Because he has, he has no reason to be in this film. No, the shoe when, Really, him. yeah. Shoe-horned him in, but for, uh, for, for good measure. Oh, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about wardrobe in this <laughs> I'd film? I'd love to. <laughs> We've already mentioned Mr. T. Mr. T. Mm. Mr. T brings a touch of style, actually, to yeah. him. Albeit, I suppose, there's a lot of different styles going on. But it goes, it very much goes from the sublime to the ridiculous in parts during this movie. Um, I'm guessing we're talking Stallone mainly. Stallone mainly. like So Stallone in parts when he's not in the ring and he's doing yes. you know more formal wear, he's wearing yeah. exceptionally well-tailored beautifully tailored beautifully styled uh full suit shirt and it, and it's that it's that cusp of the late 70s early 80s so it's still really quite flared kind of like yeah like double breasted mm. suits with huge lapels yeah really stuff nice like broad square yeah. cut shoulders yeah and on a figure like stallone oh, he's flipping he's to chiseled, die for. he is <laughs> absolutely exquisite <laughs> He's there, and he's wearing like beautiful shirt and tie combos, like mm. with the, the the tie, um, the collar pin, you know, across mm. the top. Oh yeah, real kind of uh, the living embodiment of Italian American styling from mm-hmm. back in the early eighties, paired with. And of course, you've got to remember that Sly is a smaller man. He is. He's only about five nine. Five nine. He likes to do little things just to give the illusion of height. Okay, I think you know what I'm referring to. I noticed them straight away. <laughs> so, if it ever pulled out to a wide shot mm-hmm. of Sly, you'd see a little pair of two inch Cubans. Yes, peeking, <laughs> peeking out from beneath his flared duds. Oh yeah. And, and if, do you know what? I I saw that. And I thought, my God, I wish I could get away with that. You wish they would come, the Cuban would come back. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the, and he pairs them with a pair of, of course, flared trousers, give the illusion of height as well. Mm-hmm. So he really does everything within his power oh, Yeah. to just add a few extra inches, just to bring him up to six foot if he can. Yeah, if yeah. If he can, but I still don't think he's quite, if he's 5'9", he's bringing himself up to maybe 5'11", five, or something like yeah. that. Um, he wears like a beautiful... At one point, like it looks like a camel skin uh, overcoat when he gets poorly out of prison or yes. out of the holding cell, with, paired with a pair of leather, full leather gloves. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. The man has style. He's real, got but impeccable. but in that, in that very elegant kind of but beautiful, yeah, like you say, the, the Italian, because there are not many, not many Americans at that time. Uh, anywhere near as stylish. No, no. In their dresses, as slice as ro- Rocky is. Yeah. In this film, so, like I say, it goes from sublime in that mm. sense to ridiculous because then cut between it and the training scenes later on in the film. Yeah. Okay, we understand he loses and he has to make that comeback fight against Mister T because. 
he's really lost his mojo. He learns that the fighters up to that point had been kind of shoo-ins to keep him looking good as the champ. Well, M- Mickey, Mickey did a, did a, did not did the dirty on him, but like, yeah, that, I mean, that's really hard for Rocky to take that, that all these, because he's defended his title at least six times. Mm. And, and in fact, one of the, one of the fighters that he, that he fights and, and defeats in defense of his title is called, <laughs> I had to rewind it and double check that I'd seen it right. <laughs> is this in like on, the paper headlines? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, no, it's on one of the, like outside, like a theater. So, you know, like, oh, it says, okay, like yeah, the, yeah. and it's like Rocky versus Big Yank Ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I s- go back and watch it. It's Big. in that first first montage. That's why I had to rewind it because I had to double check. His name is Big Yank Ball. Big Yank Ball. Yeah, and he doesn't sound like like a contender to be heavyweight world champion. Well, so maybe he carries these, his weight differently to other well, men. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so he finds out that they're they're kind of not really contenders yeah, that, 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 that Mick has really set up these fights so that Rocky can prolong his world title yes. reign so now he's finally come up against Mr T a true contender mm. and he's come unstuck so Apollo Creed steps in of course then to train and to retrain him in the style that he was taught so that he could overcome this, this uh, domineering presence in the ring of Mr T and and I do have a. I think this is a slight. Uh, I don't think you'd get away with this today in the way that they frame it because they basically frame it as they're training him to box. They're training him to box like a black man. Yes, a boxer <laughs> of color. Yeah. So uh, could you? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't think not. Maybe in the way that they do it, there are some very racial undertones going on. Yeah, it doesn't help that you've got Paulie in the background, yes. continually making racial slurs to the yes. point where even his sister starts rolling her eyes and is just mortified <laughs> that they're in this gym having to listen. Well, to the he book. says. He said, he blatantly says at this point, in a gym full of black people, <laughs> yeah, I don't like these people. Dudes. It's like, mate, yeah. you, you've got some serious flipping tons on you to be saying that. Well, I think it just it just shows what, what you could get away with at the time. Um, Back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, during this time, there are, it's tough. He has to overcome the psychological challenge, doesn't mm. he, first? They're trying to really kind of go, put him through his physical paces. It's just not working. And then, of course, this is all leading to the point where we're treated like we are in every single Rocky movie to a training montage. Yeah. And but I thought this was a decent montage, to be, to be honest. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know your reasons as to why, because during the montage, this in my mind, ever since I first saw the film, has remained so as probably one of the most homoerotic things. <laughs> I've oh, ever, absolutely! I've ever I think seen. that's why I like it. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're treated visually to two fellas in the, in their prime. In fairness to them, keeping themselves in good nick. Mm. Sliced along Carl Weathers in little or next to nothing, either ex- mm. obscenely short shorts, yeah, rippling, glistening, 
yeah. uh, hairless bodies. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. <laughs> Being put through their paces, um, grappling, uh, uh, which culminates in both of them, wear, are they wearing crop tops? <laughs> like little crop <laughs> yeah. vest crop tops. I'd love to know the purposes to that. I know people wear their old scrubby vests to training because they don't want to, you know, they're keeping it real and they're keeping it um, raw. Whereas they're wearing almost like sports bra <laughs> cut, yes. um, vests. And it culminates, the scene culminates in a, a a jubilant cuddling scene in slow motion, a beachfront cuddle. In in the sea. They they kind of like run into the sea slightly in the shallows and um, yeah, so there's water splashing, kind of spraying up yeah. and they're yeah, they're embracing. Backlit by the sun, cuddling. Yeah, it's great. It's great, and it, it, it culminated the song crescendos. Um, and I then... tell you what, though, uh, Apollo Creed let Rocky win that foot foot race. Though there is no way that Rocky has won that foot nah, race. He's got the worst he's... running style, and you can yes, see his head he's, going he's, 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 <laughs> Carl Weathers is like. Just fluid. Mm. He is just like silk in motion. The way he's running style, yeah. he's just like gliding just through the air. Where, yeah, yeah. Whereas Sly is like <laughs> his head is like proper like shaking backwards and forwards. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit mental that. Of course, up to this point, um, it, even even in one of the scenes, like uh, Duke who's like the trainer, like Apollo's mm. old trainer. Even he's got his top off at one point. Like, and yeah. he's, he's not in great shape. <laughs> he's carrying a little bit of bulk. He's a bit smooth. Yeah. He's a bit smooth. There's no ripples or contour to his body. And um, But even he's catering to all different types. All, all yeah. Everyone's catered for during those scenes. Come one, come all. Come woolly beast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, he's taken over the role of one of the other things, of course, given away in the description, I can't believe they actually did that, but um, he takes over the role of Mick, of course, mm. who up to that point has been like... God rest him. Yeah, Mickey Goldmill, flipping with his... his um, well, that, that's a weird thing. I, di- I, did, the, I did the cross he then. Himself, and he's yes. Jewish. And he's Jewish. He's which, Jewish. Uh, which was weird. That, that came out. That was the biggest twist for me in the whole film, that his funeral is a Jewish funeral. Well, I, only... I definitely would have had him down as as, as a Irish American. Well, this is it uh, in terms of you only realise that when he realises he's called Mickey Goldmill. And then yeah, you that's go, true. Okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah, it's obvious that he was probably Jewish. Um, but yeah, so he dies, and there's a moment he dies during the whole kerfuffle of the first fight with Mister T. Yeah, and. <laughs> So he loses the fight, but the whole mm-hmm. time Mick's had to stay out the back in the changing rooms because he's... Which is weird. I don't know what, how he hasn't been rushed in an ambulance. To hospital. Yeah. I think he said, doesn't he? He's like, no, leave me here. I'm all right. Leave me here. <laughs> so he grumbles and he spits and he foams to leave him there. And then he comes back in and he tells him the result and he kind of gets crossed wires, doesn't he? Or yeah. Did, how did it go? Oh, it was a, it was a knockout. And... Um, <laughs> So he tells him it was a knockout, obviously a bit of a lie of omission. He doesn't tell him it was him that was knocked out. Yeah. And then, of course, Mickey draws his last few breaths and that's that. Yeah. And then Rocky starts to do like one of, 
we talk about like you know Mark Hamill in um, Empire Strikes Back at the end when he finds out Darth Vader is his father. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's noted in Hollywood as one of the ugliest cries. Yes, I can see it. I can see his face. I personally think that Sly takes that title during this scene. <laughs> when not only is his face literally mangled because it's just yes. been beat to pieces, um, he starts to literally go... And then he pulls a mad face. And then his his, his noises descend into like Wookiee noises. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like... And then he's like... <laughs> and, then, and then he goes <laughs> so he starts making these mad noises and then it just it fades out and you're like oh man yeah. he's just gone full wookie because he's he's mortified that mick's just died with his ugly cry but yeah, yeah, what should have been a poignant moment in the movie really yeah, wasn't. Yeah, but loses it because of the because of the, the overtop crying noises. What other standout moments were there for you? Did you enjoy? Well, I did. And, this? I did. I, 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 again. Okay, so I have a few problems with it. like it. I think everything that isn't boxing related is boring. Right. So, like, the interactions between Rocky and Adrian, like, mm. I couldn't be bothered with any of those scenes. It's just kind of like, just get get to the next. And I didn't really get the whole thing with Paulie and why he was just kind of, like, off. But I, I appreciate, like, they have to bring in some, a bit of, like, friction. And he, mm. he brings that that friction, right? Yeah. Um, but Mr. T is the absolute star in in this film, mm-hmm. and, and and I tell you another thing that watching it this time around is that is the action of the actual boxing matches is so terrible <laughs> because it is not based. Nobody defends. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody defends once. They literally it is just like put every Slugging punch lands, yeah. <laughs> every single punch lands, and and Mister T's head is just flying back. For like five in a row, yeah, and then he comes and punches Rocky, whose head then goes back five times in a row, and that's it. It's just constantly like back and forth. Mm. So, so the the choreography of the actual boxing matches is, I, d- I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand who thought that that was okay because boxing has never been like that. No, like it's like just if, like nobody if, they, if any of Rocky's fights ended like they do in any of his films well they would have ended about five rounds earlier because the ref would yes. have stopped it. the ref would step in yeah the <laughs> ref would step in like after, after someone's about 20 seconds <laughs> yeah exactly but but there is something about the way the film the way the film does move in that kind of because i suppose this one specifically is about the fact that rocky's lost sight of you know he's world champion, mm. and he's kind of just taken taken on the wave of, of popularity and all the merchandise. And when he's training for the first match against Clubber Lang, mm. it's like his his tra- his gym is mad because it's not really a gym; it's more just like 
he's training with loads of people coming to watch and buying t-shirts and yeah. there's a band playing upon the balcony and it's just like a party yeah. and he's like and he's not even like training he's just kind of like throwing a few punches and then posing for photos Flexing. and is yeah it's just <laughs> it's wild um but I get it because then he has to go back to his roots and he goes back to this like old school dirty gym in LA with Apollo Creed and gets back to like some actual training and and and, and there's no uh, there's no luxury to any of it. But of course, then he 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 wins the the second the second bout and that the the this you know the loss of Mickey um, and again because I've not seen one or two. I assume that Mickey is is you know like like it says in the blurb like he's he's, he's more than just a trainer he is doesn't he live in Rocky's house? Well, yeah, he's living in his <laughs> his mansion. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's like this is this is this is his like dad. This is his father figure, and it's a great loss to him and stuff. But I just got carried away with the story. I just think it's a re- it's 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 not great in terms of. Uh, I mean, the first Rocky film, I think, wouldn't. Oscars? It's uh, a good question. I mean, in and of itself, it was kind of a little bit of an American dream story. It was, it yeah. was his his writing, directing breakthrough, Sly's yeah. breakthrough. Loads of people had rejected the script. Um, and then when it came out, it just flipping blew up big time. I, I, and I do, I do get the feeling, though, that he's kind of... Which, understandably, if you've written written two two boxing films what do you do with the third mm. do you know what i mean like h- how can you keep it fresh how can you keep it it's the fall from grace isn't it because well yeah at that point exactly. being put on the pedestal for everyone who's seen the first two movies so we have to see yes we have to see him lose really kind of yeah lose sight. yeah and lose his way in and have to kind of fight fight back mm. to to win um but again, again, Mister Mister T makes this film for me mm. because he it's his it's his attitude. I mean, when it when I mean one of the th- some of the stuff that he says to Adrian in that <laughs> when he's call when because Rocky's about to retire, right? He's oh, announcing yeah. his retirement, and he is incensed. Mister T is incensed. Clubber Lang, sorry, is incensed mm-hmm. that he's not going to get a shot of winning the title against Rocky. Yeah, because Rocky is lauded as like this great. And Mr. T knows it. Mr. T knows that all these people he's been fighting are, are not real contenders. So he he desperately wants to, to to defeat the people's champ and take that belt away from him. Mm. Um, and Rocky bites because, because Culber Lang says something about coming for Adrian to come round to his place tonight and he'll show him <laughs> a real, real man. man. It's the fact that he addresses us. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> and and right, that's enough for Rocky to go, right, that's it. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to have you in the ring. Yeah, you've pushed the right button there, sunshine. And, it, and he says, I, one of the things that he says, um, he says at the beginning, he says, I live alone, I train alone, and I'll win alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. He is a, he's just a great character. <laughs> there are, some... and then he comes he comes out with an entourage. So he didn't train alone the whole well, time because yeah, he's got a he coach still needs and stuff. a corner man and a cut man. Yeah, and everything else. But I think standout lines for me. I mean, like you say, Clubber comes out with some absolute corkers. But um, 
some of the the less obvious lines that people remember the film for were um, were noted by me because they just made me chuckle. So the first one was the going away um, to, to unveil this statue of Rocky as Philadelphia's mm-hmm. favorite um, favorite son, you know, superstar boxer, and uh, Paulie is left looking after their their son. And as a bit of parting advice, of course, this is normal advice you'd give to a babysitter as you leave. He says, hey, Paulie, don't go giving the kid any beer. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, all right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Of all the things I had to worry about as I was leaving my kids with you, I don't go giving the kid any beer. Here's the thing, if the the person looking after my kid, I have to remind not to give beer... I don't think he's a suitable person to be looking after yeah. my kid. That's a red flag. That a piece yeah. of advice having to be given is a red flag. Um, other one was Mr. T's doing a like a news show and he's talking about I'm gonna it was I think this is just after he's beaten Rocky and he's saying, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, it's no challenge and blah blah blah. And at the end the reporter turns to close off the segment by going, Hard words from a hard man. <laughs> It's like, whoa, yeah. Um, And then the other one, it's like just before the first fight where Mr. T really establishes himself as a bit of a badass um, Mm -hmm. by smashing all the photographers and journalists' cameras and lights. But in fairness, they kind of goaded it because two of the things they ask him to do, (laughs) one was, Clubber, will you dance for us? (laughs) It's like, hang on. Clubber, will you dance for us, mate? He's getting prepped for a heavyweight boxing match. Could you imagine? I don't know. I guess I don't know if they meant just like give us a few little kind of dancey, boxy style foot movement. Um, And then right after that, as if that's not going to incense Clubber Lang, they say, come on, just take your robe off. Take your robe off. Yeah, okay. I'll dance for you and take your robe off. This isn't sounding like boxing anymore. No. <laughs> dance for me. Take your robe off. <laughs> so those are, yeah, a few few throwaway lines that made me chuckle that I thought I had to take note of. I, t- I, tell, um, you, I tell you one thing, though, is obviously this, I, I didn't realise that it, that this was the first first time we we hear eye of the tiger that eye of the tiger was mm. written specifically for rocky 3 um and but it is and it and it's used really well i mean it's it's a great song in context of mm. a boxing a boxing film like this like yeah. i wouldn't i would never listen to eye of the tiger but yeah. in relation to to the soundtrack of this film it, it is brilliant but they don't off flipping overuse it so in that whole Apollo Creed when he's training Rocky he, <laughs> I would say it about man. 10 times yeah <laughs> I have the t- I have the tiger he just keeps repeating I have the tiger and it does get a bit a bit wearing mm. um but it's it's a great song in, yeah uh, I mean it, of its time as an original piece of music for the movie you can't yeah I mean and then for it to have the longevity that it's had after oh yeah yeah. Um, do you know what song? Apparently, do you know what song they were going to use? Like it was, it was muted that they were going to use is um, "Best Around." Do you know? You're oh, the, the kid, the Karate Kid. Uh, that was that was then used in the Karate Kid. That was go um, poten- one of the potential songs to be used instead of <laughs> "Eye of the Tiger." And and as good as that song is, it's not "Eye of the Tiger." It isn't. No, it doesn't. It's not. It's probably a bit more. 
adolescent, isn't it? In its, yeah. Uh, in its tone. Cool. Well, Rocky Three. I think that's Rocky Three done and dusted. Let's... It was enjoyable. I really enjoyed watching. Yeah, Rocky III. it was. It was. It was fun. Fun to go <clears> back there. Um, I enjoyed a lot about it. I think it's as an iconic movie. I can I can return to it over and over again and enjoy yeah. it. And I'm sure I'll share that uh, with my boys as well later yeah. on in life. Okay, so Under Siege, the 1992 action classic. So this is a heroic loner takes on a group of nuclear terrorists in this seagoing yarn. <laughs> That's a weird. Posing as a rock band, the terrorists get themselves hired. <laughs> this does not make this film sound good. It's not sounding plausible, is it yet? No. <clears throat> posing as a rock band, the terrorists get themselves hired for a party aboard the USS Missouri a battleship en route to Pearl Harbor for decommissioning. They plan to steal the ship's nuclear arsenal, but haven't reckoned on the intervention of the ship's chef, a decorated former Navy SEAL, in the form of Casey Ryback, Stephen Seagal. Right, so why Under Siege? What made you pick this? I mean, because when I was ten, <laughs> yes, okay, um, and and watched this for the first time, it was a great action movie. Tommy Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee who Jones, is yeah. is the the nemesis. He is one of he's like the main terrorist. Yes, <clears throat> I think his performance is in my. 10 year old mind iconic a seminal just, performance more, more, yeah more, more for his look more than anything else because <laughs> again he he just looks like a 90s rocker leather jacket yeah. with with studded you know eagle on the back yeah. um studded lapels ray-ban sunglasses tie-dye tie sweatband tie-dye sweatband long hair um he just looks and he and he keeps that look throughout the film. It's mm. not like he he poses as the lead singer in this band, and then once it starts kicking off, he gets changed into more appropriate terrorist wear. Yeah, he keeps he keeps the the Axl Rose kind of. <laughs> he is look dressed like Axl Rose isn't he? <laughs> throughout the film. Bar the um, kilt, he is dressed like Axl Rose. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was that. Uh, I'd never really seen. Because it's, you could compare it to Die Hard, hmm. in in because it's it's one man versus the terrorists, right? Yeah. Every everybody else has been sort of locked away, or everybody else on the ship. So it's 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 one unassuming man with with no weapon. I mean, he's locked in a chiller. He's been locked yeah. in the fridge for subordinate insubordination. <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> by Gary Boosie and. Uh, <laughs> And so he's 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 really, you know, he's, he's no threat. But he manages to not only escape the fridge, which is one thing, but then takes on the whole terrorist organization yes. um, with with help from 
a few other people, um, but does it all himself. And it was the first time I'd seen Steven Seagal. Like I say, it's the only Steven Seagal film I've ever really seen. Um, but yeah, as a ten-year-old, I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. Hmm. I mean, I, do you know, I can't remember when I first saw this film. Um, it probably wasn't long after it came out. I'm not mm. that much. I remember, I think I remember watching it. My dad had put it on, and there was a more, there was a, like I think he became very. I think the first time I potentially was almost going to watch it was in this moment, but then my dad became very quickly aware that it wasn't. It was inappropriate. I should have been watching at the time. <laughs> it's like an eight, nine year old kid. Mm. He was thinking, "Oh, this is going to be a great action film. Awesome, let's watch it." And then as soon as that birthday cake opened and the last yeah. from Baywatch pops out with the boobs out. He was like, oh, right, okay, yeah, right, and just like, instantly off it went. Well, okay, let, let's let's talk about that scene specifically. I mean, in my 10-year-old mind, because I've, I've not watched this film a lot over the years for, mm. for obvious reasons, because ultimately it's not a great film, really. You know, there are better, better action films that could be watched. In my head, up until the time last week when I rewatched this, I thought she was Meg Ryan. And I thought it was... <laughs> right, okay. I thought Meg Ryan was in this film and she was the one who popped out. But, okay, I mean, this is... It's one of those... I watched I watched a, a documentary about women in the film industry and just the kind of nonsense they have to put up with. And when I say nonsense, I mean sexual assault mm. and, and stuff like that Predatory to get into bit. films and, you know, and nudity within films and how they're expected to to bear all, um, you know, and they won't get roles if if they show any sort of um, hesitation to, yeah. to get naked, right? So it, it, maybe I'm looking at it in lieu of that as well. But it's it's wholly unnecessary. The whole the whole, I mean, her character in this whole film is unnecessary, and she's she's only in it really for titillation, like yeah. literal titillation. Like so, like the 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 bit where she pops out, yes, the bit where she pops out the the cake and flashes her boobs. The, the when she arrives on the ship. <laughs> And in everybody's that. just ogling her and like wolf whistling and the camera like so you see her from behind and the camera slow pans down to, to her bottom and just and lingers way, way, yeah. way too long. It's really it's so bad. It's shocking, so bad. isn't it? Yeah, like to the point where as the film goes on, you think, is she going to present some kind of love interest? And it's only wow. literally right at the end that he plants a mm. flipping somewhat non-consensual kiss. <laughs> yeah, it seems a bit forced. And what I, I read that Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal, who was also a producer on this film, mm. um, according to Gary Busey, <laughs> Steven Seagal kept pushing for a sex scene between himself and, um, what's her name? The, Erica Elaniak or Jordan Tate, or Miss yeah. July, or whatever she's called in the yeah. film. Which doesn't surprise me that he... Steven Seagal seems the type that would kind of go, can we not 
Can we not have a sex? I think the, there would be a sex scene between these two people. It's a high pressure situation. Terrorists go on, <laughs> yeah, going on. There like, be a we'll sex find scene. time to put a sex scene. In. Yeah, of course there would. There'll be a secluded <sighs> spot on the ship somewhere. Me. But again, yeah, it's like it's not. It's par for the course that, of course, he would have at least have to snogger mm. at some point at the climax of the film to show I'm uh, the man. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the, the because he beats the terrorists male. and yeah, exactly. I beat the terrorists and I win the girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few things that disappointed me. Well, I mm. say a few things that disappointed me about Seagal's role in all this. Not mm. just the fact that it was Seagal, full stop. Yeah, but the fact that Steven Seagal's head poo didn't feature. That's all. That, that's because they're not allowed in the navy. You can't have long hair in the navy. So it was a true. It was true to real life that oh, he wouldn't fair, have been right. able to get away with it. It was a detail that he he, mm-hmm. he remained true to. Okay, fair enough. <clears throat> um, but on the flip side of that, a real nice touch was when we cut to him in the kitchen at the beginning, his jaunty chef's hat that he wore, <laughs> kind of askew, <laughs> like a, like some kind of. French chef caricature mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. I don't know, some kind of French newspaper. If it was going to be drawn as a caricature, <laughs> I would imagine him wearing this little jaunty hat, all askew on his head down the side. Um, but, of course, the minute he then sheds that chef's outfit, you know that Stephen Seagal, he means business. I, he, I mean, he does... I think he's an unlikely, like, here not hero, but like he's not in the same nowhere in the same league as Sly, or Arnie, or Van Damme, or who who else was like a meathead at the time. Well, all all those ones that end end up in the Expendables is Mm. that what that film's called? Like, there's there's a very good reason why Steven Seagal isn't included in that batch of. Well, I was of the understanding, or at least I've surmised from various Hollywood uh, anecdotes, is that Steven Seagal is an out-and-out douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> that seems about right. Hasn't so, he cozied up to King Jong-un? Sorry? It hasn't he cozied up to King Jong-un? He's, hasn't, he's he doesn't he go to North to Korea a lot? But he's... It, Ultimately, like on set, so all of those are the guys, everybody loves working with them, big characters, great guys to work with. And amongst in the action film fraternity, mm. the stuntman really has to have that really great relationship with um, the lead because invariably, mm. one, they're going to be taking their place to, to yeah, do sure. stunts. Um, but also in fight scenes, they have to really carefully choreograph things so people don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Steven Seagal, in fairness to him, again, by all accounts, some martial arts experts would say that he's not really, but um, has a certain level in Aikido and other martial arts. Mm-hmm. And he's also a tactical weapons and security expert. I do believe he was in the industry. Hang on, is, is this like in a Thunderlip self-proclaimed <laughs> tactical expert? No, like that was literally like his job. Oh, okay, right. Um, um, so he brings a certain element of genuine ability to mm-hmm. his roles. Um, mm-hmm. But he was known 
much like Bruce Lee was, maybe it's like a martial arts thing, I don't know, to show that I'm actually legit. Um, in fight scenes with stuntmen, you're obviously not meant to full-on spark them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a phenomenon known as tagging, where certain actors who thought they were pretty tasty would actually, boom, put a few little shady digs in on the stuntmen, and it was known as right. tagging, and it was just to show that, yeah, I've got the better of you if I really wanted to. Um, so Steven Seagal was known for that. He was known mm. for putting in a few shady digs on stuntmen to show that I'm quicker, faster, stronger, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also he was known for his off-camera antics, right? Put me, typical martial arts crap, put me in a hold. <laughs> Not that hold, put me in a hold, that kind of thing. Go for, right. go for my throat, go for my arms, try and hold me and I'll show you I can do this and get out of it, and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so he was known for just, that. Just like a, like a, almost like a, a like an attention-seeking five-year-old. Yeah, an attention-seeking bully. I'm going to yeah, right. get people into positions where I can kind of legitimately bully them by right. overpowering them, choking them out. That kind that do, of that do, really, it really doesn't surprise me that he, <laughs> that he would do that. there's a Kevin Hart story. It's brilliant. I'll, I'll kind of tell it. It's not my story because it's Kevin Hart's, but it's funny. Where he was working on a film with Seagal, with another stuntman who apparently was pretty handy. He was also another martial arts trained guy. So Stephen pulls his usual trick of, oh, put me in a, a chokehold, see if I can get out of it. The guy goes, nah, Stephen, I can't do that for insurance reasons. We're on set. It's not a good yeah. idea. I'm not going to do that to the lead actor in case something goes wrong and I, you know, everybody ends up in a pickle. Um, Stephen insists, no, no, put me in a, put me in a chokehold. So he goes, all right, fair enough, you asked for it. So the guy goes for it, and he's there flipping. He's got Stephen Seagal in this chokehold. And Stephen Seagal's there flipping, trying to get out of it, to the point where he can't. So then he taps taps out, and the guy goes, all right, fair enough. He's like, that was a good hold. And then he goes quickly, like scurrying off to the toilets. <laughs> And Kevin Hart, he comes out. So he comes out stinking a turd. And he said the guy had literally choked the shit out of him. <laughs> like he'd, he'd crapped himself because he flipping choked him hard. Oh, I, I desperately want that to be to be. I, expect, I think that true. story's kind of been immortalised. Oh, Kevin amazing. Hart tells that readily and he's not too concerned about whether it's true or not. So it's kind oh, of amazing. funny either way. Yeah. But... That being said, um, Under Siege, I think I like... One thing I do like about Seagal is his his haphazard killing style. (laughs) When he goes Mm. on a killing spree at one point during the film, it really does uh, make for compelling viewing. Like at one point... Is is that the bit where... It's the guys who are unarmed but making like the steel and stuff and <laughs> erecting the, the, that the framework. Bit, yeah. So there's a few. I've made a list of what I call exotic deaths. Yes. So there's your standard shooting. People yeah. just get taken out in a firefight. And I like that the way he crosses his, <laughs> his hands as he's going yeah. down the, he the gets corridor. Two, two Uzis. Yes. Crossed over, and yeah. he just literally sprays bullets in his wake. Yeah down this corridor lined with bodies. That's almost bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, so that's like your standard killing. Yeah. Then you've got um, one where there's like a 
jagged steel girder hanging from the roof. <laughs> and he thinks, <laughs> I know, that will create some kind of deadly booby trap for whoever's underneath. Sees mm-hmm. the guy underneath, unlatches the girder that's oh, hanging on the yes, chain. He just like whips fine. it off, whoosh, mm-hmm. lets it go, and this big thing just goes straight through the dude's stern. <laughs> yes. Takes him out, bleh, punctures him. Um, then there is um, another one. <laughs> there was the one I actually even reacted to this one because I wasn't, I didn't remember it, and I wasn't expecting it. Where yeah, it's the guys who are kind of. They're baddies, but he's just trying to disrupt the operation of them. Yeah, Yeah. collaborators, yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to get the nuclear weapons off the ship by building this convoluted uh, system of, you know, uh, pulleys and and tracks and stuff to get the the gear off. And consequently, of course, there's lots of uh, power tools and equipment nearby Mm -hmm. while they're constructing it. And he gets hold of this fella. He gets the better of him physically and then he pushes him onto the bandsaw and mm-hmm. that goes down his shoulder and I believe I exclaimed, ooh, very sore <laughs> at the time. Well, the thing is, I think he knees him in the in the ball sack as he's doing that. So it's kind of like a double whammy. He kind of like knees him in, in, in the groin, which knocks the guy up onto the, like, the, the tabletop. <laughs> yeah. And then he kind of like pushes him back a little bit yeah, into the saw that goes through his shoulder. Mm, yeah. Classic. Oh, so. And I think just before that, because the, the, that for me is the most violent, bloody kind of death scene, I think he literally rips somebody's throat out. Yes, that was it. That was my other one on the list. So, yeah, during like one of the final hand to hand combat scenes, yeah, just full on grabs all of the dude's trachea, pulls it clean. <laughs> As you do, that's a you know common. I don't know if that's an Aikido move or what. But I you, don't think I don't think that is certainly not not in your your, your nuts and bolts Aikido. They, <laughs> they, they don't teach that to anybody, but like the black belts, I don't think. Yeah, that's the uh, eighth dan or whatever it is Aikido uh, throat death. Um, but any other standout other than the killings? Any other standout moments for you? I tell you, I, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about positives. Mm. I I genuinely thought the transition because the way it builds, I think it's it's sort of, obviously don't read the blurb before watching it because again that gives away too much. But like the 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 way it it, it changes gear so that it's just like that party atmosphere and the bands playing mm. and then Tommy Lee Jones characters like who's the most senior ranking oh, member yeah. here. And this other guy's like, you know, <laughs> stiff as anything. It's like, that'll be me. And so he just yeah. shoots him. And then it's just like, everybody just like, All hell it just goes it mad. Is. Right. And mm-hmm. in, in, yeah, it's just like an instant. And, the, and the, the tempo change is just instant. And I just think, I just think that is quite an effective kind of device just to, because there's no kind of like hint that it's coming either. It just, it just happens. Mm. The, the, we, we don't know that these are, terrorists at the, at the time and it just like kicks off yeah but i did genuinely think that that was that was a um a good tempo change yeah. and then the action just starts right and the even like the the, the story is is okay i think that the the, the way it's um the way the story goes because like with some films okay going back to um 
Yeah, so even Golden Child last week, right? So in Golden Child, and with a lot of films of, of this period, action films or adventure films, it's kind of one one set piece to the next to the next, and it's kind of like yeah. they have to, almost like a computer game. Yeah. They're on this level, and we have to beat this baddie, yeah. and then we go to the next set piece where we have to beat. So in Golden Child, it's like, what's his what's his name? The guy with the with the blades with like the the Tom, Tommy Tong. Tom, Tommy Tong. So it's like you beat Tommy Tong, and then you go to the bikers, and you have to beat up the bikers, and then you go to this next person, you have to beat that person, and and like that, right? But this kind of flows way better. It's it's not like it, it's not like set piece to set piece to set piece. Mm. It does kind of just flow a little bit better than yeah. than that. So I think like the way that and this this is directed by the guy who the year later directed The Fugitive, which I found fascinating. Way he better, went from, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, The Fugitive is just and maybe that's just the writing, but. Mm. It's more subtle. The, the Fugitive is a more subtle film. Well, it's a more believable film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, yes. I, I, <laughs> but I also read that Harrison Ford, in deciding to take the role in The Fugitive, knowing that the director had, had directed Under Siege, watched Under Siege and went, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do The that Fugitive. That was the clincher for him. yeah. Isn't wow. that mad? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you take away, like, let's say you replaced Steven Seagal with another actor of the time. More prolific actor. Somebody More who prolific. can actually act. Yeah, someone who can carry scenes and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, yeah, like you say, story-wise, it's not bad. It was kind of, it's it was timely. It was significant. They used, like, proper actuality and stuff of president bush senior at the start i really i did really like that because it yeah using real news footage and like based in reality and there was like yeah like a crossover between real what was happening in real life because they were like this what what were the missiles that they were trying to get off the ship so they were were they tomahawks tomahawks because that was real that that they were decommissioning tomahawk and they were doing pearl harbor as well because that's where the bush speech was coming from it yeah. was in pearl harbor so it was so all I, I mean it really built the story nicely around something that was semi-believable mm. even though it takes this kind of diversion towards yeah lunacy. yeah um but yeah it, it's a nice it was a, a timely and as, as far as action films go to then take the situational action of just keeping it all contained within the ship as well contains mm. yeah, a sense yeah, yeah. of I mean it's called under siege in as much as you get this sense of claustrophobia within he's only got so many places he can go so many places he can hide and that presents its own unique set of problems for him as the goody trying to disrail mm-hmm. like you know derail it all um and the baddies as well you know they've got to work within the parameters of it's all happening on the ship and yeah. this is what we have to get these missiles from A to B so we can get them into the black market and get them sold. Mm. So yeah, I think it's a good, a good story. It's solid enough. And then you've got the overhanging threat of well, if we can't, if we can't do this, then we're just going to have to destroy the ship because with everybody on, because we can't allow these terrorists to 
offload these nuclear warheads yeah. or these nuclear-tipped missiles and and who knows where because they're, well they're, they're they're threatening to blow up Honolulu, aren't they? That's where they're off to to the, the one guy in the war room is very very plainly says exactly what's going to happen but it's like two million people are going to be vaporized to the temperature of 10,000 degrees like in, a, in an <laughs> <Yeah>. instant <laughs> wow yes terrifying well in the face of that terrifying nuclear threat i highlighted some uh ridiculous moments which kind of were very funny and enjoyable to watch um the first one was you spoke about like when they first take over the ship and it's just like pandemonium, hmm. you know, they're just taking people out willy nilly. And when he says, who's the highest ranking officer in this room, one of the things that I noted about when he gets shot is he strikes the most incredible death pose. <laughs> like he doesn't just oh, go straight down. He, he throws his hands in the air like this. <laughs> Like as if he's just put the, or tried to put them up to kind of stop him from shooting him, but in doing so, and then as they reach the top, he gets shot in the chest and he just freezes and then falls back. <laughs> um, but then one of the other really enjoyable things to watch was as Ryback then breaks free from the fridge that they've locked him mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Is um, he makes it out onto deck with his guns. And he's taken out kind of the patrol, the point men they've got out on the deck just to kind of keep things in check. And as he's taken them out, they go like all stiff and rigid, like on the tiptoes. So he'll shoot one of them, they'll go, and then they'll just go on the tiptoes and then just like fall off, like totally (laughs) stiff from wherever they were. And it reminded me of, I watched a video, I think I even mentioned it to you at the time and you you branded me a bit of a psychopath. Because I was watching on YouTube. I don't even know how it came up. And some of them were really harrowing to watch. And I don't think I watched the whole thing. But it was a video of animals being electrocuted. Oh, my word. <laughs> and obviously, I wasn't gaining it, deriding any pleasure from this. No. Watching them being electrocuted. Apart from because some of them were awful. Like, they were obviously, the animals were obviously dead as a result. But some of the more funny ones were like, there was this clip of, I think it must have been like Gibraltar or an equivalent, you know, where they've got like baboons just roaming loose on yes. the island. But at the very top of the rock of Gibraltar, they've got the fort. And I think some of the baboons were getting up there and flipping, wreaking havoc and doing whatever it is baboons do, obviously. Um, so what they did was to stop them climbing onto this one platform portion of the castle in Gibraltar, they put these like. Um, I suppose they look just like metal grates, but they're, they're, they're like a little tray almost, I suppose. And then you could see like crossed wires at the base of the tray. But of course, the trays themselves were electrocuted. Yes, of course. <laughs> so the monkeys were going up, the baboons. Um, and it was obviously a strong enough current. It wasn't just like, oh, that little shock, I'm not going to mm-hmm. go on that. They walked on it, and this baboon just totally stands bolt upright, goes proper rigid, and then just goes, ooh, and falls down as he goes. And it, that's what these fellas reminded me of when they were getting shot, these electrified baboons, just, oh, oh, off they go, off these platforms of the ship. So that was fun to watch. And the other 
um, real. It's all about the little details that really sell mm-hmm. character acting, isn't it, to you as a viewer in movies? Is they're kind of establishing a hierarchy and or a sense of order within the terrorist group. Tommy Lee Jones is very much established as the the, the lead baddie. You've got Colin Meaney, who's also a, a a bit of a sidekick. You know, they've all got their own strong-headed character that they're trying to portray. And then there's the big ball fella who mm-hmm. seems like he seems pretty tasty. He's, he's handy. Yeah. He's he's pretty handy and he's established himself as quite an aggressive dude as well. Mm-hmm. He's like he like you get the impression he likes He's to the go, enforcer, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He likes to go toe to toe with whoever's giving him grief. And because they've come mid party, there's all this <laughs> catering that's been put laid on. And there's this huge big side of beef that everyone is going to tuck into. But of course, because the party's been cut short, they've taken this big hunk of beef up to the war room where all the baddies are. Tommy Lee Jones is scything bits of flipping beef. With, with like a, a Bowie knife. Yeah, he's got his flipping his Bowie stra- strapped to his shin. So he takes it out and he, he's cutting off strips of meat the size of like an A3 bit of paper (laughs) and um, he gets this bit off and he's dishing it out but he's not just like putting it on a plate and serving it up with a few cans. he's chucking it at them he's literally throwing it at the different fellas and he throws it to this dude who just catches it with his hand in a fist and he just catches it and the meat wraps around his hand and instead of just like nibbling on it, he just goes <laughs> and just starts tearing at it like, like a, a flipping, like an animal, like an animal. Yeah, this yeah. red tender like So I enjoyed that little that little moment. Really sold it to me as oh yeah, he's a real. Well, these are men's men, men, aren't they? The, the, these are vicious. That's I think that that's that's the context we're supposed to be getting from that scene. Yeah. Is that they're just eating? It's or it's not raw meat, but it's it's rare. Rare meat, rare. and they are just eating it like, like, yeah, like cannibals, almost, like, almost like this human else. flesh. Yeah, it's all he's just living on that that high protein diet for her, for Tommy Lee Jones and his fellas. Um, but yeah, those are some nice little details, little moments. A few, <laughs> there's a few, like we talk about. In, um, I know we've spoken in the past about. Unlikely, highly unlikely. I mean, it's an action movie, Hollywood action movie. Yes. There's going to be lots of highly unlikely things going on. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that kind of threw me, though, was because it's on this ship and it's only so big, you'd think it would be very difficult in many instances to kind of get a moment's pace, hide, reconvene, do whatever it is you need to do before yeah, yeah, you go yeah. on your next kind of uh, skirmish. But they always seem to find a place where he can haul up and do like mad stuff. So Seagal, he's literally been on the deck, been in a firefight, blown up a helicopter. Helicopter, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then cut to next scene, he's there, top off, dismantling, flipping rocket tomahawk. Yes, the missiles. Melt, yeah. melt, he's melting a warhead on a Ban Marie. <laughs> okay. He's concocting like some kind of highly volatile and or um, homemade explosive with a rubber johnny. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, you go, oh, he's, he's cooking up something mentally. He's breaking this missile down. He's using johnnies. He's getting it all in a 
bag, he's boiling it on a stove, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. We've already seen him do like a, a microwave bomb at this point. <laughs> yeah. So you think, oh, what's he cooking up now? It's just like a bag of explosives in the end. They go yeah. through all this big rigmarole and it's just like, oh, he's just put whatever it was in a bag. <laughs> I don't know what he's actually doing with that. I know because he, he's he's because he got grenades before, didn't he? And he, he mm. used the grenades in 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 very uh, efficient ways to 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 kill some people. As they, you know, he puts it on the handle of the the door, so yeah. when they open it, it drops and blows up, and and that's how he makes his escape yeah. away from them in that in that instance. Yeah, but it's like one he doesn't really do much with that thing after this great kind of like. Uh, scene of, yeah of him doing all this so we, so we can see that he's he's not just a chef that he's proficient in he knows what he's doing yeah. do you know what i mean but he doesn't really do anything with it just not it just kind of like yeah it's it's, it's a, a non-entity but also like yeah it's it's finding time like they would be they would be searching that ship because there's loads of them there's loads yeah. of, of people so they would just be like level by level room to room They'd easily find him. Well, why aren't they doing yeah. that? Why aren't they... So- well, I suppose it's because they, they make out they've got this pre... There's the time constraint of... Right, okay. We're preoccupied so with getting this rig built to get the explosives yeah, right. off onto the submarine and mm. get gone. That's our... our- um, That's our goal. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough, because they don't really want the ship, do they? They're literally just trying to get the missiles off onto the mm. onto the sub so that they can... S- and it, this is just for business. They're just trying to sell them to the highest bidder. Yeah, they're not using it to, like... Yeah. yeah, they're not using it to... But here's another thing. I couldn't work out. Is Tommy Lee Jones' character... Because he talks about wanting to go back to the 60s and, like, the... I think he's been sort of portrayed as like a, a commie. Like he's he's a peace loving kind of because he, he was in Vietnam and it's that same kind of like the story of the rock where you've got you have these because the the CIA tried to kill him, right? Because he kind of went rogue, um and he was sort of employed covertly to what was what was it? Oh, to go and blow up this nuclear sub that that North Korea had got of their course, hands on, yes. and it went missing, and, and and it went missing, and obviously it went missing because he just commandeered it and nicked it in in lieu of this mission where he's gonna yeah. he's gonna do this. Um, so it's that kind of I've been betrayed by my government. So, but it's almost like he's a bit anti. It was it was kind of like hinted at, but wasn't really fleshed out like what his what his modus operandi was apart from just he just wants to sell these these warheads to whoever yeah i think that was maybe like a bit of a ruse at the start because then you find out ultimately he and seagull have a little bit of a there's a a history there isn't there yeah yeah so he, he realizes oh he's an old school um special ops guy like me yeah right um so yeah i I couldn't quite figure out that notion that he'd he'd either he hadn't certainly hadn't turned full done a full political in in light of his military history Mm. um but yeah that was a bit i think that was maybe a storyline that they, they probably just wanted to entertain and not explore because at the end of the day it, it doesn't just really a, matter. It's just it? an action film. Yeah. <laughs> we can't give these characters too much depth. Um, 
So, any standout lines for you? Not, not really. So, one of the I had a few. There was um, so after all, Stephen Seagal's posturing as the Navy Seal, highly decorated Navy Seal, purple star, purple heart, purple cross, flipping purple <laughs> nurple. He's got the whole, the whole collection of every possible prestigious war mm-hmm. commendation he could have possibly had um at the end of the day he just gets taken out by an italian pirate on the ship with like a boat hook <laughs> so he swims yeah. he's swimming down the side and this is one of my favorite lines again just a throwaway line from gary boosie he sees him coming he's like hook that son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> so they're all there with the boat hooks swinging the flipping the hooks over the side and um, yeah he gets manages to hook his shoulder and do some damage to Seagull you would have thought he'd have he'd have been able to evade that one in the water I know yeah and and it didn't do much and much da- I mean that was a big old flipping hook as well and it, it, and it ripped all his because it, it, he, he pulls it back when it's got a big chunk of his his wetsuit oh, yes, on yeah. it and they kind, they kind of hold it up yeah like, like we, a, got, <laughs> him. Yeah, we yeah. got him and his his back is pretty torn up, but not not massively. It's no. just kind of like a few fairly decent cuts, but not not enough to to completely immobilize him and and, and prevent him from ultimately hmm. then carrying on without appearing to have any injury whatsoever. And yeah, and, and that, carry they on. almost it's almost like. They have to have the main guy get winged somehow, just to add an air yeah. of suspense. But it didn't <laughs> to, really to do make that it a much. bit more believable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it didn't to really make them a little bit more human. Yeah, but it didn't really do much, did it? No. Um, but another one is I always like military um, code phrases for actions being completed. So when they've taken, oh, like over, the, the the bird is in the nest and all. Kind, that kind of, of yeah, but there was a twist on that. So the um, the guys who. Then, like I said at the start, common day of the ship was Mother Goose. The quails are in the nest. The quails are in the quails are in the nest. Amazing. Um, and then they refer each other to as Roadrunner and Wily Coyote. Don't yeah, they? That's their call ca- signs. Different, yeah, different handles on the radio. So that's always fun. Um, but yeah, I think overall I enjoyed Under Sage. It it was better than I anticipated. That's the, that's the best I can give it. It it's not it's not terrible. I was expecting it to be like unwatchable, kind of blood sport, unwatchable, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't unwatchable, terrible. It's not great, but it it was. It's only about an hour and a half long, mm. and at no point did I get bored or feel that it. That I wanted it to end there and then. It entertained you. It, yeah, yeah, entertained me per- perfectly fine. It's mm. it's not something that I would. If it was on late at night, I don't think I'd stay up to watch it. Mm. You see, but for, for it me, was fine. I there was something about it, like you say, I wasn't thrilled. I thought oh, I've not seen it in a while. I wasn't mm. thrilled when you suggested it, and then I started watching it, and there's something about the early nineties. Uh, action movie that has some kind of loose military connection when you mm. hear that initial military style orchestral 
trumpet yes. chorus ring out yeah. at the start of a movie. And with drums, to yeah. drums going along with it. Like yeah. a trumpet. You're like, oh, yes, yes, yes this is going to be great. <laughs> you know, you felt it with The Rock. You felt yes. it with Under Siege. You felt mm-hmm. it with all, any kind of, oh, yeah, this is it's unreal. And, you know, when you see him, the captain's being killed, he gets all patriotic and covers him in, like, his captain's suit. Oh, and, and his white jacket. suit, yes. And all of yeah. that kind of carry on. Love it. Yeah. I love it. I love to see American patriotism portrayed by Hollywood. It gives me great, a great oh, Because it is, it's so oh, not over the top, but it's unchallengeable, that kind of patriotism. Because, because it is... It's whiter than white patriotism, isn't oh, it? Oh, you it's it is without Yeah, it's without question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, there's there's no there's no sense of like war crimes being committed by any of these people ever. These are just just absolute like well heroes, you know, in, in the way that the I mean it's mad that America America parades like veterans at like sporting events and oh, yeah, just yeah. just like a, any possible opportunity they they not wheel out but like they get people in uniforms and and buglers and and whatever and the and the flags flying any opportunity and I get it I to, I totally get it and this film like epitomizes that it it totally is part of the the propaganda machine that keeps oh, that yeah. keeps those oh, wheels yeah. turning whereas we just don't have that as much like we don't have that sense of you know thank you for your service to to people who've gone gone and fought in the war like I am grateful for the for what they mm-hmm. do I don't think that they're treated well enough but we don't have that same level of respect but it's kind of it's like, always it's heroism isn't it it's, it's like, heroism yeah, yeah yeah it's like yeah. we put you on this hero huge, I mean, that, again we've got the whole help for heroes thing and of course we've got remembrance day but this like they they take it next level oh, to the to the nth yeah it's 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 yeah. it's mad but this this totally plays into that and the, and i think the 90s epitomizes that i don't think they do it as much anymore i think it's a little bit more um nuanced in a lot well, in, in films nowadays because i think people well i think people in real life have started to question it yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. as much as we appreciate these working class guys joining up and doing yes. their bit it's the motive and or end result of their actions that were perhaps maybe should be a bit more yeah into question of. a little bit yeah goodness yeah. right well i think that's pretty much it for our yeah. two movies this time. We've got, uh, it's coming up to that most wonderful time of the year. Uh, it's my fa- my favourite time of the year. It's certainly a hot hotbed of activity for movies. People like to get into the spirit, the Christmas spirit, by watching Christmas films. It would mm-hmm. appear from now until the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to go all out next month with to Christmas, seasonal specific Is the Christmas special. Christmas special. So I've picked one. We don't know what we're going to pick. You've got two, just in case I think of the same one. Yes. I'm going on, you see, after what we've just done, I'm going kind of along the same vibe. I, I knew you would. I, I guessed, <laughs> I, I was talking to Robin earlier, and I, I had a conversation with her, and I guessed what your film would be. Um, I don't know what film you've picked. 
But I might. Can I guess? Can I try and guess what? Please do. I think your get your Christmas film is going to be Die Hard. No, I was going to do Home Alone. No, you (laughs) were. It's an action film, isn't it? Comedy action. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was obviously going to be Die Hard. Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting. Because I picked two, and I picked... My first choice was... And I'm not going to pick this. My first... Well, actually, I'll let you decide. My first pick was going to be Scrooged, the okay. Bill Murray... I thought... Yeah, that actually came to mind. Christmas Carol. Yeah. Because I do think it's the best version of the Christmas Carol um, ever made. <laughs> ever made. My, 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 my second pick, and this is no word of a lie, is Die Hard... Two. <laughs> oh, God. I don't think we can do Die Hard okay. and Die All right. Hard 2 okay. back to back. Okay. <laughs> Let's do and I did, I did double check before, because I couldn't remember. So Die Hard 2 is definitely snowbound. There's definitely snow in it. I think it is and Christmas and it's, it's the Christmas airport, Eve. isn't it? It's Christmas Eve two years later after Die Hard. But yeah. I, I I appreciate that watching Die Hard and Die Hard Two for our Christmas special is just a <laughs> bit on the nose and a bit too much. Yeah, so and I'll go we, with Scrooged then. Okay, Scrooge, brilliant. Yeah, Scrooged and Die Hard Two, I think are. are no, Die something. Hard. Oh, sorry, Die Hard. <laughs> okay, yeah, brilliant. Die Hard and Scrooge. We'll get those watched Great. and we'll have those ready for December for Christmas. But until then get into the festive spirit with whatever Christmas movie you wish. <laughs>